Welcome to Reinventing Strategy podcast. This is a podcast where we discuss anything and everything about business, strategy, and sustainability. I'm Petri Salo, and it's been a while since our last episode. In the meantime, we took a bit of a summer break, during which I actually wrote a book called A Business Playbook for Sustainable Success. In this book, I used an innovative company called Puro Earth as one of example of the emerging business models that are built around the changing market dynamics arising from the environmental crisis. And today, I have the privilege of being joined by the CEO and co-founder of Puro Earth, Antti Vihavainen. A warm welcome, Antti, and thank you so much for joining me today in this discussion. Thank you, Petri, for having me. You're more than welcome. But before we dive into the details of our discussion today, would you like to say a few words about yourself and Puro Earth as a company, just to familiarize our listeners uh, on, on the business that you're in? Yeah, certainly. So I'm I'm a Finn, uh, studied in um, Helsinki School of Economics um, back in the 90s, um, and uh, um, actually founded my first uh, company during that time. Uh, I was actually also um, active in the student union and uh, there was responsible for the environmental activities or environmental section of the student union. And uh, uh, we organized um, a session um, in 1995, which was called uh, Green Business, where we invited uh, Finnish um, companies to come and tell how could they derive uh, competitive advantage from so-called green business activities. Uh, but then my career has been spent um, in telecommunications and um, cybersecurity and uh, IoT-related uh, uh, topics, uh, always in a way wanting to create a secure and uh, frictionless um, um, system that would allow e- people and companies to transact securely and therefore at uh, as le- little energy uh, consumption as, as possible. Well, that's what I would call pioneering. If if you say 1995, discussing how companies could create competitive advantage through uh, green business and sustainability, so that was that was early and foresight, I would say. Of course, uh, sustainability was not a word back then, so it was just green business. Yes, indeed, indeed. And, and obviously, Puro Earth, you as a company, you are positioned right at the heart of helping solve the climate crisis via market-enabled process. So would you say a few words about what your business is all about? Well, thanks uh, for that characterization. I would actually um, perhaps uh, put it um, slightly differently. Um, we are the cherry on top, uh, I would say. The core or the heart of the, um, you know, getting uh, rid of or, you know, surviving this climate crisis that we are um, undergoing at the moment is is definitely that every single one of us, um, including individuals, companies, municipalities, uh, countries, continents, need to reduce their emissions uh, of carbon dioxide and other uh, greenhouse gases. Um, That's the first and foremost priority. Uh, Defossilization is key. Uh, Once um, you know, we've embarked on that journey and we've realized that um, there are a multitude of um, things we can do to reduce um, emissions. And uh, that, in fact, um, when reducing emissions, in most cases, we are also saving money. 
this applies to individual human beings you know uh, you know gasoline cars versus um, um, electric cars and many other um, aspects of of life as well so let's let's um, you know consider that to be the heart of uh, of the solving the climate crisis but um, once we are on that journey um, we should uh, look at uh, ways of um, neutralizing the effects of the uh, remaining emissions and uh, that's what uh, puro has um, you know been working on developing a system that uh, enables monetizing and uh, basically rewarding um, every company uh, that can sequester or remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere uh, yeah with a monetary reward that, that that's really fascinating and uh, and that leads me to ask you this question you finding the spot of being the cherry on top of the things that actually make things happen and as you said it's based on dematerialization defossilization and and while you uh, reduce your emissions, you also save money, or even make money, or transact money. So, how how did you identify this problem worth solving, and this place for the cherry on top mm-hmm. uh, that nobody else had yet occupied by at, at that point of time? What was the underlying vision that you based your business model on, and how did that business model evolve over time? So, what was the process that you went through that ended up with what Puro Earth is today? Well. <clears throat> It was um, <laughs> mainly conceived in uh, when sitting in airplanes, coming back from uh, business uh, trips. Um, when I was uh, sort of every now and then buying um, a magazine like uh, The Economist or um, MIT Tech Review or, or you know some of the other ones, um, Harvard Business Review, reading those um, sort of getting um, the understanding that. Um, the climate um, problem is is tremendous. Um, that there is already too much CO2 in the atmosphere, um, and that um, there are ways of removing it uh, from there. But um, you know, it seemed to me that um, the uh, the researchers, the scientists uh, that uh, put together those technologies, might not be the uh, best ones to commercialize that. Uh, so I figured that um, you know. Coming from the telecommunications industry, where you have the uh, Nokia's and the Ericsson's and the Lucent's and and so forth, that uh, make the um, technology underlying technology, you still need to have the operators that commercialize that. I was wondering if uh, there would be a position for similar kind of structure also in the um, carbon removal uh, side. Um, not that it uh, ever turned out to be exactly like it is in telecommunications side, but I think um, we still have been able to create a um, essential uh, component that uh, enables transactions between the ones that uh, can sequester carbon dioxide and the ones that need to neutralize their remaining emissions. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And I tend to say that there's always two sides to every business and opportunity. There's the what is valuable side of things, so problems worth solving, and then the what is possible side of things, which is the methodologies, technologies, the things that make those valuable things possible. So if I hear you correctly, you kind of connected those two, like the scientists had the technologies and and you tap that into the valuable problem and commercialize that. Would that be the right right uh, characterization? 
Yeah, um, although I must say that uh, it it was a um, very iterative process. Uh, so um, my <laughs> sort of uh, original contribution was to ask that question, and then um, I had the opportunity to start, um, you know, looking into that question and and potential answers um, um, within Fortum. Fortum's um, innovation and venturing team uh, basically was intrigued by this question, and um, um, we started to. Um, basically apply the lean startup principles and, and um, test um, different kinds of ideas with um, you know people that we knew might be interested in this sort of a topic, uh, be it uh, researchers, companies, individuals um, um, in, in sort of regulatory um, or you know officials uh, on the climate side. We um, you know discussed with them, uh, we created uh, slides in the morning, had a meeting uh, midday and, and then recreated uh, the slides in the afternoon after you know based on the feedback that we got from them. And um, you know we continued that uh, for several months. We met 120 people in four months. And uh, that um, was the, the phase when we developed our current concept of uh, CO2 removal uh, standard uh, registry and a marketplace. So, so that that's high speed iteration, I would say. Slides in the morning, meetings in the afternoon, new slides next morning. So, really, really interesting to hear that. And I believe. Uh, you also had a wide variety of different types of people and stakeholders that you required in the mix of placing your cherry on top of this pyramid of many things. So can you tell us a bit about the the discoveries that you, you went through while you started asking that question and constructing your business? Uh, because I believe you, you realized that you need A, you need B, you need C and so forth. So it must have been a, a massive ecosystem play as well. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but then again, the the actual team was um, very very compact. Um, of course, we got the support from um, you know Fortum in in many uh, aspects, but the actual core team was just me and um, my co- the other co-founder uh, Marianne Tikkanen. So we um, basically you know were able to digest all the information, um, learn a heck of a lot um, about uh, carbon removal, you know what what could qualify as carbon removal. We actually um, had a long list of uh, around 20 uh, different uh, candidates for carbon removal processes. and um, we deliver uh, sort of developed our own sort of leading principles. Uh, according to which uh, we started to eliminate uh, them uh, down to three, which we uh, got started with uh, eventually. And this uh, process, of course, required um, this, let's say, diverse set of skills, where um, and you know competencies and and backgrounds uh, where uh, we interviewed uh, you know, people from different countries and and uh, different uh, uh, walks of life. Uh, and uh, yeah. That way, we developed our own vision and um, understanding, and and therefore we could basically start uh, building um, what we call the least disputable ways of uh, removing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. That that's really interesting. To learn, and uh, I think at this time when people talk so much about open innovation and uh, the power of ecosystems. What I hear in your stories, you used both because you kind of required the really sort of uh, central control for your idea. So you had a very small team that kind of had the vision, 
but then that team worked with the external world and 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 tested out different things and and combined the different things around your idea would that be the way that you would characterize that uh, you you worked in the early days of your company that's correct yeah no ndas were signed <laughs> everything was yeah. uh, uh, sort of out in the open we were very um, and we continue to be very open um, and for example um, the core ipr that we have are the uh, methodologies which are sort of documents that describe the requirements for carbon removal activities they are all downloadable free from the internet. Uh, so, uh, but they have to be in order for other people to be able to trust to them. They need to know what are the requirements. So, um, and that's you know, it's an open innovation also when creating them. Um, they are always working groups um, from uh, you know that consist of, let's say, six to twelve people, um, and uh, and that bring in different kinds of um, understanding and knowledge to the table and then jointly something is created it's put into a, a document form and then published yeah the next question that uh, I'm, i'm thinking about is when we are discussing emission trade related business we, we've got the emission trade systems we've got the different uh, cap and trade programs that are enforced And, and put in place by policymakers and regulators. And obviously, you are a voluntary business-to-business -business alternative or complementary to that model. So what was your approach towards policymakers in the early days of Puro Earth? Because obviously, you needed to fit into that overall equation. Well, we tried to avoid them, of course, <laughs> as one would. <laughs> no, the thing is, uh, in reality, um, we of course identified that there is the compliance uh, side uh, of uh, carbon markets uh, where the uh, european emission trading system um, basically dictates uh, the companies that are within that system um, that they need to buy emission allowances and uh, then you know that's like 40 to 45% of the emissions um, in the eu and this is the highest share or highest coverage of any compliance market in the world. It's still only 40 to 45%. So the remaining, um, you know, 60 to 55% are on the so-called voluntary side. And um, so those companies are, um, that are operating there, you know, every single, you know, consultancy, IT uh, company, um, none of those, um, you know, high um, sales margin, and low emitting companies they don't have to do anything but there was a um, rising consciousness uh, among them that um, you know they probably should do something um, among the sort of the more climate mature companies and we wanted to tap into that and um, completely disregarded everything um, that was going on the regulatory side mainly because we just decided we don't have the capacity to deal with that uh, in the beginning excellent <clears throat> and this this is really a thought and philosophy I'm personally really passionate about, which is you, you tend to see ESG topics in general, if I broaden this, as either a compliance cost, which is a, a table stakes thing, so you just have to do it in order to have the license to operate. But then I think, and I increasingly think that there's a tremendous competitive advantage being gained through a smart application of these things because the markets value them. So so I, 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 as a philosophy, I, I really 
think that people and business leaders should see that uh, that compliance cost also as the competitive as a potential source of competitive advantage in the uh, operating environment where these things are being valued more and more even voluntarily so very very interesting to hear that then i think for every new company a very important question because developing something completely new requires investment that is also subject to risk. So how did you balance your funding? Because you already described your highly iterative nature of your early early days. So how did you balance uh, the, the funding needs and the iterative development rounds uh, at Puro Earth, especially in the early days? Well, that is a good question. And um, of course, um, had I done a few let's say a good uh, exits uh, before this uh, i you know we probably would have uh, taken a uh, more of a shoestring self-funded uh, route but um, in this case uh, we um, were lucky that we were able to uh, sort of um, get the support from um, Fortum um, that, um, you know, had the uh, intention and the, you know, the resources, the people, the processes um, and, um, you know, uh, everything in place to develop uh, things like this. And, and uh, um, so, yeah, funding um, in this high risk um, pro- process came from there uh, through a metered or KPI based uh, um, sort of gated uh, funding steps. Um, it was typically three or uh, six months of, of funding that we got. And, um, you know, uh, within that time and within that with that money, we had to complete, um, you know, or get uh, through certain hoops. And uh, once we did that, we we were allowed to move for, further. So, would you say that uh, you applied a a fairly fairly typical metered funding approach in in your operations and and monitored the the these sort of uh, legs of funding and then the outcomes that should be come out and that kind of uh, extended your runway going going forward? Yeah, correct. Um, and um, it was um, actually a um, you know. A very clear and um, a good process. I <laughs> personally, in, early in my career, I actually created the innovation process uh, with similar characteristics um, in uh, Sonera um, in, in in 2000, and uh, uh, so I had a bit of uh, insight into what qualifies, um, or let's say, I had an opinion sort of what what would be uh, the characteristics of a good process like this and and whatnot, and uh, I enjoyed going through that. Uh, corporate uh, startups are uh, um, you know, can be really um, good in terms of uh, low risk for the entrepreneurs or intrapreneurs. Um, uh, but um, then, of course, the upside uh, can be more limited. And balancing that is the trickiest part. Uh, when to, um, you know, force the spin out or the carve out of the, the company uh, from from the corporation is the big question. And uh, maybe that was one of the things that uh, we should have been more um, uh, <laughs> decisive on. Well, that's really interesting, and and you already alluded to that. Uh, uh, if had you had uh, uh, more experience with multiple exits and and that whole sort of carve out spin out process, so that brings me to the next question. Because obviously, uh, uh, you you ended up uh, being the the majority share of Puroth being acquired by Nasdaq, and Nasdaq obviously is a highly established. 
um, mostly known for its security exchange business. So when was being positioned alongside an established security exchange part of your original vision for Puroas? So was that part of your uh, initial vision that you started with? No, it wasn't. But of course, when they approached us, um, we realized that, that that would be a great match. Uh, we had by then, of course, um, had, uh, let's say, a hundred different uh, serious discussions with um, uh, VCs. Uh, but um, um, it turned out that the model that we were developed um, within, um, you know, the the corporate structure um, would actually better allow a corporate venture capital um, a participant to come in um, as the investor. And and uh, yeah, um, Nasdaq was a perfect fit uh, in that sense. They were really eager to, um, you know, uh, contribute to the uh, budding uh, carbon market or, you know, carbon markets have, have been there for a, for, for a while already, but um, this carbon removal uh, market in particular. So, and of course, they do know a thing or two about marketplaces and we happen to run one of them. So, uh, of course, um, that's that's a great match. And, and to me, it's it, from the outside, it looks like the perfect match because obviously, like you said, emerging carbon marketplace being positioned uh, right alongside a, a very traditional monetary uh, security exchange makes it extremely credible and positions it in the eyes of the uh, sort of market enablement of this very important uh, theme of uh, carbon removal, removal from the atmosphere. Really interesting things. I believe we are approaching the end of the allotted time for this discussion. I'd love to discuss more details with you because this is such a fascinating topic. Uh, but uh, at this point, I, I need to draw this to a conclusion. Thank you, Ampti, so much for joining me today to discuss your story as part of Puro Earth and also for volunteering to be also interviewed for the book. So thank you very much for that. And uh, have an excellent day. Thank you, Petri. Um, I, you know, highly respect uh, your work, and um, um, you know, the book um, is is you know very in interesting, insightful, and uh, you know, um, happy to be, uh, of course, contributing to this uh, sort of uh, discussion uh, in your podcast as well. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for your kind words, and uh, thank you. And for the next episodes, we have some really interesting discussions around how the public-private combination can actually market-enable behaviors in the company space and entrepreneur space to target activities that really fulfill the different sustainability goals, for example, of, of cities, municipalities, uh, countries and so forth. So stay tuned to this podcast, more interesting stuff to come.